You are Locked On Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody, and welcome back into Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me. Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Well, can't be much better than uh, than than after beating Georgia, one of the best teams in the country, uh, after our dismal defensive performance against Ole Miss, and frankly didn't play well defensively in the first half last night. Didn't feel great about things at halftime, and lo and behold, uh, what I said all week happened, and, and that's just two words, Nick Saban. I mean, he's he's the greatest of all time. And he, he, he somehow willed our kids to play a fantastic second half of football offensively and defensively. And we are so entrenched as the second best team. And, and I'll, I'll defer to number one Clemson right now. Um, but we're so entrenched as, as the second best team with a tremendous gap between Alabama and the rest of college football. Uh, man, what a, what a great night. Oh, man, it really was. And any night's a great night when you have a Built Bar, and Built Bar is bringing this podcast to you, so everybody go check out Built Bar. Uh, we could probably all use one after using so much energy on Saturday trying to will Nick Saban into uh, the stadium and then trying to will that team to victory. I'll talk about Built Bar in just a bit, but, uh, Jimmy, there's so many things to go over here. I mean, it, it really was an incredible performance all the way around. You got to give credit to so many different people. Um, frankly, uh, Matt Jones, the, the, the game was unbelievable. Let's go ahead and start there. That the, the first two plays essentially, I guess, was it the very first two plays or was it the first and third play that we have a yeah. two interceptions? I mean, it was pretty much incredible. Um, and both of them were interceptions like from – in, in unlikely ways. Um, and I thought it was very cool that Sarkeesian did want to set the tone and go deep on that first play. And again, I've not seen a whole field angle of this, but I swear if Matt Jones had had an extra half second, I think that's a touchdown. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Based on the way Mac throws the ball and the way Sark designs the plays and our receivers execute them, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but yeah, there were some fluky, fluky plays that went for us and against us. Uh, and, and it was a, a weird start. And I really think we spent a half almost adjusting. You know, Georgia's by far the best team we've played in a while. Not not just the best team we've played this year, but the best team we've played in a while. This Georgia team, in my opinion, is better than Michigan, better than Auburn a year. That's the best team we've played since we played LSU last year in last year's game of the century. And uh, I think I think it took a half to adjust. Uh, I think defensively we didn't play that great. And offensively we were a little bit off, particularly up front. Uh, in the protections, I thought Mac was really harassed in the first half. His numbers weren't bad, but it wasn't the same Mac, you know. I mean, I, I thought he was very conscious of the pass rush. I'd never seen him like that before. I, I thought he stared at the rush a few times. I thought he he sort of threw off his back foot unnecessarily, which is <laughs> Exhibit A in the trial that the quarterback's a little flustered from the pass rush. He's throwing off his back foot when he doesn't even have to. Um, because he's just kind of expecting the hit that's coming. Uh, and I thought Mac was a little flustered. So we're just a little off. We weren't terrible. That's why we were still in the game. 
And the 30-second drive right before the end of the half, I thought kind of changed the game. Alabama was very aggressive. Reichard makes the clutch kick that I thought he would make at the end of the game to win it, but not true, but he made a clutch kick at the end of the first half that helped us win it. Uh, But I thought that 30 seconds really kind of gave Alabama a ton of momentum uh, in the second half Georgia got the ball, but but quickly punted. And and from that point on, uh, Alabama controlled – the football game, especially the fourth quarter on the ground, Alabama not racking up points, but they kept the ball, and that clock just sort of ran out on Georgia. No, I agree, and I think that the, I think you're right. Will Rikert's kick, it wasn't technically the game winner, but I think it was theoretically the game winner because if when we had that kick, it did seem like everything changed. I mean, Georgia had had uh, you know gone ahead. We had sort of a boneheaded play on defense where we almost jump off sides, and then we do jump off sides. I mean, it was really just a you know undisciplined play by us. And then, of course, they score the touchdown. Um, and then we, you know, that was the thing that changed everything. It not just the kick, but everything leading up to the kick. The fact that you know, in years past, I would say even Saban. I mean, I know Gene Stallings would do this. That we'd kneel it and say, let's go to the half and regroup and see what happens. I think even in Nick Saban's former Alabama years, you know, up until Tua Tungle-Vailobo, we may have done that. Just said, look, I don't want to have a pick six going before the half, and and I want to just uh, – let's just get out of here and we'll regroup and, and get them in the second half. But that drive yeah. was the impetus for the come, for the comeback and for the, for the big second half uh, momentum swing. So, and it wasn't just that we make the kick, which is in itself is absolutely astounding. I mean, a 52 yarder and it looked for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was going to fade left and it somehow miraculously kept, kept spinning as if it were going left, but went to the right and it went, it just crossed through the crossbar and um, the team went bananas and I, I went bananas. My wife was like, we're still losing. I was like, yeah, but I mean, this is shit. I feel like we just won something. I hadn't seen a main kick of any significance in so long from us that this right. this was a big deal. It was a, it was a significant kick and that Alabama really needed. Some, some makes are just more important than others. That's a fact. And this was an important make, and it was from 52. As a matter of fact, I believe that is Alabama's longest – made field goal in five years so yeah that's a big that's a big deal and uh he kicked it with a lot of con- and kickers just operate on confidence now Rikers confidence is sky high and all he needed was confidence it's obvious to anyone that will Rikers a talented kicker i mean any, just watch the extra points i mean the, the the sound the ball makes when it leaves his foot the height he gets on the extra points the fact that he hasn't scattered his uh, attempts all over the place. Reichard's a talented kid. All he needed to do was have a big make and just take off, and uh, that's what I think we're about to see. Uh, let's hope he stays healthy, because if so, Alabama's got a really good kicker for the next three and a half seasons, should he choose to stick around, because <laughs> it's the easiest thing to forget in the world, but this year doesn't count eligibility-wise. He's a true sophomore all over again next year. I know that is that is pretty awesome to consider. Um, I want to get into a couple of the unsung heroes here in the second segment, but before I do that, I have the thought today. You know, I've just man, I'm, and this isn't like me. I mean, 
I will get drunk. I just don't get drunk that often. I just prefer to drink and just chill. Now, I wouldn't, like, I don't ever get sloppy anymore because I'm 48 and I'm an adult. But um, that's not a shot at you because I feel quite certain there's a chance. <laughs> 10% chance you're sloppy drunk right now. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I, joke, no. I joke about it a lot, but really, I, know, really, I, I do, I do, I do, but it's, it's, it's uh, un, unusual, unusual. I, okay, well, okay. I think that's the best word. Okay. So what I, last night, okay. I, I mean, you know, the, this game's at seven. I've been waiting all day. I, I started drinking probably around the Auburn, South Carolina game. Cause I kept, thinking South Carolina is going to find a way to blow it or something like that. And then, so that game kind of lifted my spirits. And then the Tennessee game lifted my spirits. And then, you know, you just keep going through the day. And it seemed like it was, you know, overall going pretty well. And I was like, something shitty is going to happen. And it turns out, you know, Georgia, you know, they end up going up 14 to 7. I'm like, God, this, is, this isn't looking so good. And then, you know, we come back and win. And I, by that time now, I had had several White Claws, several beers, a mixed drink or two. I mean, whatever we had in the house, I think I had some rubbing alcohol. I had whatever we had available. <laughs> um, and I, usually when I drink like that, I wake up next morning, I, I just don't feel great, win, lose, or drunk. I woke up this morning at 6 in the morning because that's what I do. No matter what, ha what time I go to bed, I wake up early. I woke up at 6 in the morning, and I was like, I'm so freaking happy. What a win. This And I was like, this is the most satisfying win since, and I was like, oh my God, mm. since 2018 SEC championship game. This is the most satisfying win since then. I think you're exactly right, because in 2019, I, I, I think the Michigan win for me was, was, was somewhat satisfying in the sense, not like this. It, it just meant different. I, I thought the Michigan win was great for Mac. It was great for the team we had coming back. We largely played that game in retrospect with the team we have right now. And I thought it was a, a great way to start the next season. I, always, I felt like that Michigan was game one of 2020 uh, with Mac at quarterback and, and Najee coming back and Devontae coming back. So I would say the Michigan win meant quite a bit to me, but you're right. This is different. This is more national championship type hey we're in we're in and and you're right even in 2018 as we know uh the clemson loss ended you know that uh we, we had some big wins in 2018 uh but you're right uh sec championship 2018 because in 2019 we just didn't have that kind of win the schedule just didn't allow for it so uh you're right since 2018 how many forevers is that a go because the winning quarterback in that game was Jalen Hurts I mean in no. terms of while well, we came back and that feels like a lifetime ago you know that, that no, Jalen I, won, won a right. game for us and uh yeah I mean this is big I mean it's so big here's how big it is forget just the fact that we beat the number three team by 17 points and once again tore their hearts out because they led at halftime against us again and we came back and destroyed them in the second half again. Forget that. Just look at the standings. Alabama now has a two-game lead on everyone in the West. It's going to take Alabama losing twice and Texas A&M winning out for Alabama not to win the West. I don't think either one of those things will happen, though A&M's a good team. I don't think Alabama will lose twice. They might lose once because it's a tough league. 
I have a hard time believing Alabama is going to lose twice. So we sort of, in, a, in an existential way, clinched the West yeah. last night. That in and of itself is a big deal because in 2020, uh, if you get to the SEC championship game and win it, and that'll be tough when we get there, but if you get to the SEC championship game and win it, you're in the playoff. And uh, all you can do is get in the playoff. I, I, we all know winning in the playoff is hard because all the teams there are good by definition. Uh, but get but getting to the playoff is a big deal. And uh, Alabama didn't put itself in the playoff last night, but but took a huge step towards getting in it last night, no doubt. Jimmy, I mentioned a little bit earlier that I was having a few beers, and, and my beer of choice is Coors Light. And I want to welcome Coors Light to being a sponsor to all things on the Locked On Network. We appreciate you guys. It's the one I choose when I need to unwind. And if you're ever watching Alabama game, you always need to unwind. Uh, so when you want to hit reset, you just reach for the beer that's made to chill. And that's Coors Light. You can go check them out at CoorsLight.com if you'd like to. But, you know, it, cracking open a Coors Light right when the game is kicking off, it, it, it's a great feeling uh, when you need to just relax a little bit before the game, take a little bit of the edge off, and have some delicious refreshment. Coors Light is the beer for you. With minimal college football games playing this year, Coors Light want fans to know that there are plenty of teams and sports out there that will allow them to relax, enjoy a beer. So just pick a team if your team is not playing and you just happen to be listening to this podcast. Maybe pick Alabama. Crack open a Coors Light. You need to celebrate responsibly. But you can still celebrate, and celebrate we did this past Saturday night. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Also, hey, you know Jimmy, what I'm, have, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a lot to say about that. I'm so happy about this development in our lives. <laughs> that for I, I, as most everybody knows me, but I, I like a lot of different beers, and I like some craft beers, and I like me some Sweetwater 420 here and there, and. And, and some some you know in any brewed bar from a brewery fair Oak brewery by the way fair uh, fair Oak 32 is really good but uh everybody that knows me knows that that just my everyday beer the 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 water if you will of beer for me for my whole life has pretty much been miller light but i love coors light uh i've always liked coors light it's very good and in honor of coors light being a locked on advertiser and a supporter of the Lockdown Network, I am switching. And that's a big deal for me. I'm 50. I, I, I assume I started drinking a lot of Miller Lite when I was about 18. <laughs> switching to, uh, to Coors Light 32 years later is a big deal, but I'm doing it. Uh, Coors Light's uh, supporting Lockdown. Uh, out with the Miller Lite, in with the Coors Light. It's going to be the everyday beer. I encourage all you else, everyone that listens to this show, to do the same and uh, give it a shot. I am. And uh, – I bet I'm going to be really happy I did. You know, and that's a big deal, folks, because I've been on vacation with Jimmy Stein before, and he took one uh, $20 bill and one pair of underwear, and he never changed either one of them. So uh, <laughs> he doesn't change very often. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Know. That's right. Let me, let me tell everybody about Built Bar 2. Built Bar, absolutely delicious. Uh, the, it's got these incredible flavors, six new flavors, in fact. Caramel brown, brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, which is my personal favorite, apple almond crisp. Those are the six new flavors, but then they got all the classics. German chocolate, peanut butter, mint brownie, salted caramel, on down the list. 
absolutely delicious. They fill you up, great for a keto diet. Uh, for instance, the flavor profile on the peanut butter, 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only five grams of sugar, and only five grams of net carbs. That's pretty incredible. I've done this keto diet before and done uh, like Atkins type stuff. And so you know how important not eating carbs on diets like that can be. I mean, it's essential to the diet. So you can have something like a built bar and not feel like you're cheating on it. And it tastes like you are cheating on it. That's the key. So go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on all one word, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on at builtbar.com. That's B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Be sure you let them know that you heard about them from the Locked On family of networks. All right, Jimmy, I'm going to play a, uh, a soundbite for you. This soundbite came from the crossover episode that we did with the good folks over at Locked On Dogs or Locked On Bulldogs um, from the Georgia site. We like to do that each week, have a crossover episode. And the host of the show was a super nice guy. I enjoyed talking to him. I think we had a good conversation. But he said something that stuck out to me, and this is about 50 seconds long, and I just want you to hear this, and uh, we'll talk about it. scores more than 35 on this ferocious, incredible defense, or that Georgia um, scores 42 points on Alabama's somewhat porous defense, a Georgia offense that's been okay, but it certainly hadn't matched uh, the, the terrorism of the defense. Yeah, uh, neither of those things are likely to happen at all. So if you're going to force me to answer the question, which is more likely, uh, I would, I guess, I think Georgia could score a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown or both and maybe score 42. Alabama's not going to score 35 points. He very definitively said Alabama yeah. will not score 35 points in this game. And Alabama did, in fact, not score 35 points in this game. They scored 41. Yeah, uh, and uh, while, yeah, he seemed really certain of that, and uh, I understand why. Uh, Me too. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think Alabama – I mean, my official prediction had Alabama less than 35, actually. Uh, and there was a pick uh, – not a pick six. Daniel Wright didn't score, but uh, Daniel Wright did set Alabama up nicely with a, uh, with, with a pick late. Uh, but there late, and, you know, the We did get pitfalls on that. We did get moved back Correct. because there was a block Correct. in the back. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. We were moved back. So I guess I guess it wasn't on the front porch then. I mean, it was mid midfieldish uh, there. Yeah. So yeah, Alabama scored forty-one legitimate points against what I thought and and still continue to believe is the best defense in college football. Uh, wow, what a show! What a job! And I know anyone can say, well, gosh, when you have a quarterback like Mac running back like Najee and two or three wide receivers and that offensive line, of course they're going to be great. But, no, I, I give a ton of credit to Steve Sarkeesian. I think Sark has done an incredible job. I saw a stat today. I can't even explain it. It, was, it looks so complicated I can't explain it. But I, I, I can't explain the gist of it. But uh, Bill Connolly, who's one of the great, stat experts in college football. Bill Connolly is just a stat guru in the history of college football. 
He has some sort of S&P efficiency stat per Bill Connolly. So far, we're only four games in, people. It's, it's, it's a shortened season, and we're only four games in. So he wasn't saying this emphatically. But four games in, he is saying Alabama has the fifth best offense to ever play college football. And the other offenses he had on his list weren't these high-flying LSU last year, Houston in the 80s, or – Tim Tebow in the 90s. No, no. These offenses he had were like Oklahoma during their 50-game win streak, uh, one of the great Notre Dame offenses of the 40s. I mean, it was a historical, like, great offenses from eras in which those teams were dominant. But Bill Connolly says this Alabama offense is the fifth best all time. When you consider what Alabama lost a year ago, the fifth picking the draft, a quarterback, a top 10 offensive tackle, two wide receivers going in the top 16, and Alabama still returns maybe the fifth best offense to ever play college football. I know the talent is there, duh. But Steve Sarkeesian, he's not just driving the Ferrari, he's winning the Grand Prix. Yeah. I mean, he's winning the Grand Prix with it. I mean, he A++ for Sark. And just because you're a great offensive coordinator doesn't mean you're a great head coach. But uh, no one has earned their shot as a head coach uh, more than Sark. Uh, and he, he deserves whatever great job he's inevitably going to get. And let's not rule out that one day he won't be the head coach of the University of Alabama. Oh, man, that's, that's so spot on. And that's exactly what I was thinking this whole time. Uh, it's been kind of funny, too, that uh, – you know, when a game like this happens, two versus three, and, and both sides are barking a little bit, one side literally barking, um, then it, the Twitter war and the Twitter excuses begin. And, and one of them now is, you know, I've talked to some doctors and, and uh, there's no way he had a false positive. We know what are the odds that he had a false positive? And as our, one of our friends pointed out, um, that, uh, it, sorry, I was getting a phone call. You know, like how, how they talk about how your mom calls at, at the most inopportune times on that Geico commercial? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's my mom calling right then, just during that. I was hoping. But anyway. I was hoping. I was hoping it's Coors Light calling to extend us after that great <laughs> ad we gave them. Yeah, they should. They'd be like, holy cow, get these guys signed up. Where, uh, yeah, where anyway. have these guys been our whole lives? Uh, and now I've lost my train. Oh, the excuses are, you know, we, false positive. That's such bullshit. What are the odds of that? And as a good friend of ours pointed out in our text chain, I think the odds of a false positive are much greater than the odds of three false negatives in a row. <laughs> <laughs> from the gold standard test, by the way. Yeah. From the, and yeah. Here, here's what pisses me off about it. And by the way, I'm, 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 I bet I am more. Uh, I, this is a horrible, horrible phrase to use. It's just the best one I can come up with. I say I'm more COVID liberal than most of our listeners. And by that, I mean, I, I take it serious. I'm for the mask. I'm for a national mask mandate. I'm for uh, quarantining uh, the, the uh, at-risk population, not the whole population, yeah. the at-risk population. I mean, I, I'm for some of these stringent things that most of our listeners are against. And I say all that to say, it really pissed me off some of the reaction from the super COVID liberals about Nick shouldn't be uh, saving, setting a bad example, like Rex Chapman said. And by the way, I'm a Rex Chapman fan. I, I love his Twitter account. I'm going to continue to love his Twitter account. I like Rex Chapman. 
I'm, I'm an adult enough to be able to know that I can disagree with someone and still like them. So I disagree with what Rex said about that Saban setting a bad example. And I'm like, Rex, of all people, I know you're smart enough to understand what a false positive is. I know you can understand that. And, and, and like I said to him directly, uh, that got a lot of likes on Twitter, I'm like, how can you say that about Nick Saban and then not lash out that the Indianapolis Colts played football today because they had 19 positives just Friday. 19. 19 of their players tested positive. But did the Colts just willy-nilly cancel the game and say, oh, we can't play. We got 19 guys sick. No. They retested them and found out that the rapid test does produce false negatives. They gave them the gold standard test, the test that's hardly ever wrong. All 19 players were retested. All were fine. No one is saying the Colts shouldn't have been playing today. What happened with Nick is the same exact thing. It was a false positive. How about kudos to Alabama for taking the rapid test results so seriously when, in fact, it's known there are a lot of false positive with the rapid test. But did Alabama go, oh, surely, let's, let's just keep this quiet and confirm it? Hell no. Alabama told the world uh, he has a positive on the rapid test, we're going to retest and see what Alabama was very transparent all the way through in terms of what was happening. I think Alabama should be lauded for what happened, not criticized. Jimmy, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the unsung heroes. Okay, Jimmy, you know, look, it, the heroes, the, the actual heroes are obvious and there is a long list. I mean, Mac Jones, three straight 400-yard passing games. I mean, nobody in Alabama history has ever done that, uh, not even Tua. Um, he's clearly uh, headed for a seat in at the, um, at the Heisman Trophy presentation. I don't know if he's going to win it, but uh, he's clearly headed for a seat there. Najee Harris could also be headed for a seat there. Pick your poison with Waddle or Smith. I think Jalen Waddle's the best football player in America. I think Devontae Smith is the best wide receiver in America. I know that sounds very homerific, but yep. tell me some I tell me it. two receivers who are better. I don't know any. Um, so we could talk about all that. But you know who re- and, and Will Reichert is gonna be the the one that everybody chooses for like a quote unquote unsung hero. But you know right. who I thought played awesome? and will not get credit because he didn't score. Did. Miller Forrestal. I thought he was yep. fan-fucking-tastic. He was. Uh, to, to come back, I thought he was not only lost for the game, uh, when he went down, it was so bad and so painful. My immediate assumption was we just lost Miller Forrestal for the season. I mean, I, I, I immediately assumed that based on – what it looked like on the replay and the amount of pain he was in, the fact he was able just to play at all shows what a warrior is, but the fact is he came in and played great. And he not only came in and played great as a receiver, as, as he's always been, he was a blocking fool out there. I can remember several times noticing him not only blocking, but blocking the point of attack and leading a play several times. Uh, Miller was just a, a man out there and uh I didn't notice until the game was over because there had been no press release, but Carl Tucker didn't even dress for this game. He has a hamstring issue. So Miller was going to play a huge role in the game with no Carl Tucker. When Miller went out, Kendall Randolph was the first tight end to come in. When Miller went out to show what the situation was at tight end, but Miller got back in there, and, uh, oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a great that's a great uh, uh, you know, guy to pick out. I, I'm going to also pick out Jordan Battle. 
Yes. I, I'm not saying that Jordan Battle graded 100%. I'm sure he did not. Uh, and Jordan Battle made no play that's going to make ESPN's top 10 list. He's not on any of the highlight packages from the game. But Jordan came in in the second half, and he was, he was the change. He was the change in the second half, and the defense played enormously better than they did in the first half. I'm not saying it's 100% because of Jordan. I think it's because of a bunch of stuff. But no doubt adding Jordan Battle back to the lineup uh, helped change the defense from uh, Swiss cheese to some sort of expensive Gouda. I mean, I guess. Um, good, good, uh, good half by Jordan Battle and that defense, and that's why Alabama is entrenched at number two, and uh, Alabama's going to be double-digit favorites in, in every game for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think they, I think they definitely are. I mean, especially when you look around the league and go, hey, look, I want to poke fun at the ACC too. I mean, whenever uh, Clemson can do to Georgia Tech what Georgia Tech did to Cumberland back in the 1800s, yeah, I want to poke fun at the ACC. But you know what? I look around the SEC and, and Tennessee can't complete it to a person in their own jersey. Um, you know, uh, Bo Nix just seems to not be liked by any of his teammates. Uh, Kentucky has already lost to Ole Miss, who can't stop anybody. They can occasionally score on you, but they can't stop anybody. Uh, Mississippi State can't really do much of anything. Texas A&M, we've already blown them out. So, I mean, I'm just going down this list and saying, okay, I'm not so sure the SEC should be, like, wagging its finger at anybody right this minute because the rest of this league – outside of Georgia and Alabama and maybe Florida. And, you know, I'd say Alabama, then Georgia, gap, Florida, Texas A&M, another huge gap, probably Kentucky, and then you fall off the cliff. That appears to be the case. Now, that said, I, now while I agree with everything, nothing you said I disagree with at all. I'll just throw this in. While everybody in the league appears capable of being pretty bad, especially defensively and at quarterback, while everybody appears capable of being bad – most everyone's also capable of being good, and, and, and Tennessee was excited about their team extremely recently. Uh, Kentucky has reason to be excited about their team. Ole Miss did play better defensively yesterday in a loss and almost won a game in which they turned it over seven times. Uh, Mississippi State does have that win over LSU, and I know we view LSU differently, but it's still pretty impressive to, to throw for 600 yards against the defending national champs. It's like everyone in the league other than Vanderbilt, even Missouri's had its moment. South Carolina finally gets in the win column against somebody good, you know, in Auburn. So everybody in the league is somewhat dangerous. My message to Alabama would be this. Look, the second best team in this league is Georgia. You won by 17. Maybe the third best team is Texas A&M. You won by like 30. Um, the only good team in this league you haven't played yet is Florida, and, 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 and Florida's defense, the way they look so far, Alabama's going to score, you know, 50 on them. So, yes, Alabama, you're the best team in this league, but don't sleepwalk through a game. Don't. No. Don't Agreed. sleepwalk through one game because you can lose. For, for as much as these six games, Alabama's going to be double-digit favorites, big favorites, in fact, and probably all of them, even LSU on the road, Auburn. I see Alabama being a big favorite in all those games, but I tell you what, don't don't sleepwalk against Tennessee on the road, or even at Arkansas, who's inexplicably tough on defense. A uh, crazy year for the league, where most everyone is really flawed, 
but dangerous. Um, let me let me talk about this for a minute too. We only have about probably five minutes possibly left here, but you know I didn't think about this in the middle of the game because as I mentioned, I was inebriated, but on delicious cord light, I might add. But um, it, you know, it didn't dawn on me until later. But did you notice how Stetson Bennett the fourth? started having to roll out more and more as the game went on. And it was because we batted either six or seven passes down at the line, one of which was intercepted. And so he started having to roll out. And when he rolled out, that plays right into our hands. And if it weren't, even on the interception by Daniel Wright, which, by the way, kudos to Daniel Wright, a guy who's been eviscerated on social media. He yep. he now has two even interceptions in two of the biggest games of the year. Um, but yeah. Even you know, by us. Yeah, even by us, no shit. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, myself, I'm lumping myself in there. Um, but it, uh, Christian Harris took a bad angle on what would have been like a loss of a, probably 15 yards. But it let me know oh, we're getting pressure to him now. But I didn't even think about the batted bat passes part. I saw that on Twitter today, and I thought that's an incredible point because he's only about 5'10". And so when he's staying in the pocket and you got Christian Barry more putting those big oven mitts up there it's hard to get that the ball over yep no great uh I, I think Alabama did it so often it was clearly a part of the plan which they executed brilliantly uh Alabama hasn't had a great push out of that defensive line I thought they finally did in the second half maybe it was playing more guys LeBron Ray was out they didn't play a ton of snaps but Alabama put Jameel Burroughs and Tim Smith true freshman that had yet to play a snap all year they both played series last night and uh, I, th- I think it maybe helped Alabama stay a little more fresh up front. And while the push was better in the second half, it was clearly, I think, the Freddie Roach-Pete Golding plan of, uh, hey, if, if, if your push isn't, isn't into the quarterback's lap, get your hands up. And they listened, they executed, and it made a huge difference in this game. All right, buddy, Jim, Jimmy fell off, so we're just going to call it a day here on Locked on Bama. But stay with us all week long. We'll be talking about this game a lot. We'll be talking about Coors Light a lot. We'll be talking about Built Bar and Rock Auto. Stay with us on Locked on Bama. Roll tight, everybody.